Welcome everyone to the Anagram Journey and our first episode of 2019. Suzanne's guest today is Marty Dalton. He's an Anagram 4 from Chicago, Illinois. It's very possible that I say this about every episode, but I do really think this is an episode that 4s will want you to hear. Uh, a lot of things that he communicates so well. Things such as, why does Marty gravitate towards 2s and 6s? And, who is John Koenig? Before we get to the podcast, quick plug that Austin, Texas, St. Louis, Missouri, and Portland, Oregon, Suzanne is headed your way soon. So visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com and click on events and you'll be able to find more information and registration. Take it away, Suzanne and Marty. Hey, Marty. Hi, how are you? I'm so good and it's so good to have an opportunity to do a podcast with you. For uh, listeners, I want everybody to know that you are um, a big part in terms of my world at InterVarsity Press. Your title there is that you're Associate Sales Director, but my title for you is that you're kind of my guy, Marty, (laughs) because you're a go-to for me uh, from my heart and because I think we both like it when we get to be in the same place together trying to do a good thing. So I, I'm going to start by thanking you because I was scared to death to come to BookCon. <laughs> I didn't know what it was going to be like, and I didn't know what was going to happen. And when I walked in and you were there, then I just took a big deep breath and I thought, all right, we got this. Oh, that's great. I I loved having you. I was thinking about that the other day, that it's been six months or so since I've seen you. Yeah. And it was too long. And it was at BookCon. And yeah. it was a good time. We did have a good time. So since then, you have released uh, The Brightest, a novella. And before I talk about it, uh, I'd like for you to talk about it, just so everybody knows you're a four on the Enneagram. And The Brightest has turned out to be an offering for me to give to other folks. So I'd like for you to talk about it, and then I'll talk about why it's an offering. Uh, thank you for that. And, I, and I'll just say, too, that I'm I'm very, very appreciative to be able to talk to you because I just love talking to you. And I am such a big fan of your books and your work and the podcast. I'm like a cultist for Suzanne's to be on. I'm, <laughs> I'm just I, I'm, uh, you're you're a hero for me. So this is a real uh, pleasure to talk to you. Oh, um, thanks. The brightest is to my mind, this sort of culmination of my long time interest in people's subjective uh, truth. I think I've always kind of been more interested in personal truth than objective truth um, and how people see things and how people assign things meaning And I wanted to make characters that uh, embodied that and then embodied what I imagined to be the opposite of it. Um, And so as as my as my character Robin kind of goes through her uh, experience visiting with this author, um, she finds out that what what she really is motivated by of these like 
big intensely felt moments um this kind of wash of feelings that comes from uh meeting somebody new or uh, experiencing something for the first time or um not seeing uh there's, there's a line in the, in the book where she says coincidence is blasphemy um just that everything that happens ha can have a meaning if if you're willing to if you're willing to buy that um and then so she you know eventually meets uh this author who believes the opposite of that um and that life is mostly chance and that there's good things in it being chance as well um and there's some freedom in it being chance so there's not you don't have to give everything meaning and I think the, the real maybe objective truth is probably somewhere in between their two perspectives. But what's interesting to me is how people actually play out their lives in their in their heads um, and in their hearts is. I've, I've always leaned towards a certain side of that. The heart side. Yeah. Yeah. OK, so there's so much. Um of your Enneagram personality in the book and in what you just said. I want to talk about that for a little bit, and I want to start with you saying that the character Robin um, was developed, and there is a moment when in meeting someone, there's this new wash of feelings that comes over you. One of the things that I'm so clear about, and I really mean that I'm so clear about, is that the great desire for Enneagram 4s is to be known and understood and their experience is to be met. And I have a, a significant struggle with trying to explain to 4s how fast everybody's moving and how intentional you're willing to be in moving at a slower pace. And I, mm. I think it has to do with your desire for people to take a little time to know you as opposed to you having to sacrifice the part of you that matters for some surface experience with people that could happen throughout a day and have no meaning. Is that accurate for you? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it, I, I would say that's been very true of my, of my whole life. Um, I think for, for my character and for me, because I think in a lot of ways, I, I am the, I am the character. Um, for, for good or bad, there is this nice dream about you could run into somebody who just gets it. Like you could, you could run into somebody who just right away knows how you work. And how great would that be to feel like you have always known that person, to feel like you belong with that person, to feel like they understand you. And then to be able to combat all of the things that would say otherwise so easily. Um, because the other person feels the same way. So when Robin meets this writer and he's the opposite of her, I 
really want to congratulate you for in the brightest being able to balance those two characters because you um, you as a four went to the antithesis of who you are and managed to represent him really well. Oh, thank you. Do you, th do you think that's because you've met him so many times? <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. I, th I, I spent, what was strange about my experience of writing the Bryce is it took me, uh, you know, it's under a hundred pages, um, but I, it took me, probably four years to write it. And in the middle of that time, I started uh, learning about the Enneagram uh, through your writing and through IBP. And some of that did help me become aware of kind of the own, my own flaws in reasoning as, as a four of always wanting it to be that that big moment like I want everything to have chandeliers and I want you know the lighting to be perfect and the music to be perfect and I want the you know the people to be happy to be there and I want everybody to just be kind of caught up in this crescendo of feeling um and as I learned about the Enneagram and as I was writing it really turned into like oh I'm I'm missing a big a big spot of thinking and a big spot of understanding, not, you know, exploring the opposite of, of how I feel. Right. Um, and what I, and part of this is just like, I'm a crazy person. And I ended up, I actually wrote, uh, I wrote more for the author's book, Gattery. I wrote more of his book, just content wise than I put actually in the brightest because I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So I ended up just writing as him for a really long time, like a year. I just wrote stories as him that would have been the book that he's supposedly talking about in the story. And, and that process kind of helped me get his, his tone and his, his heart a little bit. And I think that's helped me understand some of the, some of the Enneagram numbers that I don't have access to, that I don't touch in my movements, that I don't, um, you know, where I don't have really close friends that have identified themselves as those numbers. Um, and, and kind of how that interacts with both my writing as well as the way that I feel about the kind of scenarios that come up in the book. I love the idea of, writing as him, I may use that going forward as suggesting that people, when they're struggling in a relationship, try to think like somebody else thinks for a while or try to feel like somebody else feels as opposed to, um, it seems that we're kind of lazy about all that. And so we just highlight difference. We mm -hmm. highlight it quietly and we highlight it in conversation as opposed to um, maybe honoring it and doing the work that's required to, bre to uh, bridge to people who are not exactly on the same page we're on. I um, also want to talk to you about the context of daily life for a four who works for a publisher um, I know you travel a bit and 
you do a lot of work on my behalf and the behalf of all the authors at IVP in terms of uh, seeing to it that our book is seen and understood and that we're well represented. And I'm on, on their behalf and mine, I'm so grateful for that. I uh, would say that I think professionally you've found a way to read all nine numbers in the sense that you seem to know how to speak to them on our behalf. Was that hard for you? Uh, some numbers, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I, I've also noticed, I think just in my, not only at work, but in my, in my friends, and, and I do have a lot of friends at work, um, I gravitate towards certain numbers. Yeah, what are they? Uh, I gravitate towards sixes and twos. Do you and, have any idea why? Uh, I think I gravitate towards twos because um, I'm really needy. <laughs> and they and they like to help and the twos that have been really important to my life have also been very vocal in affirming my art and affirming my writing and affirming my creativity uh they've been um they always want to read the next poem kind of thing mm-hmm. um and i and i love that like that it heals me to interact with those people. And I think I gravitate towards sixes uh, because I do really well when things are falling apart. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I feel like I feel like internally things are falling apart for me all the time. Like everything is just like top of the mountain, bottom of the ocean. And I think when a when a six has gotten to the point where they can trust me um then i'm able to be with them in what they feel is like the bottom of the floor and i think that you know being able to access that level and not not have to not have to fix it not have to have an answer is is helpful for them and so then i end up having really close friends because they want to share things with me on their sixes Sure, sure. So I see you and experience you as actually very strong. And that's not uh, how I'm hearing you describe yourself right now. So in terms of twos and sixes, I know you to be very uh, mutual in relationship. So I'd like to explore with you what you think you offer as a four to twos and sixes? Hmm. That's a great question. I think to a two, I think I, I think I can be very good at appreciating them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can be very good at seeing the energy that it takes to do all of the things and, and to help in the ways that, uh, I don't have the energy for, or I don't have the, the heart to actually to care the way that they do. Um, and I really value that. Uh, I think I've, when I see twos, I see a lot of like onto the least of these behavior that, that I'm not as personally interested in. Like it's so much harder for me to go, Oh yeah, I need to go and, and do this 
this uh, sacrificial kind of love. Um, and I think being able to see that in a, in a in a relationship with the two is, I feel like that's helpful for them. I sure. feel like I I can offer that. You are um, somewhat protective of your heart. Is that primarily because it's been hurt or because it's been misunderstood? Oh, uh, I think hurt. Yeah, I, I actually, I've been, uh, the last few days I've been listening to your conversations on mystery. And I have wanted to write to you or say something, but I knew we had this coming up. So I figured I could just uh, talk to you about it now. Yeah, let's <laughs> um, do it. The way, the way that I've felt about mystery has been, I don't think I've had a good um, external view of it. I think a lot of times my, like, my use of mystery is uh, I'll just keep going deeper and deeper until then I, 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 I both, I guess, let me rephrase it. I think I want to be known. Um, but then I freak out if somebody, if somebody gets too close. Right. And so then mystery becomes like a tool that I can, that I can push away with. Um, right. I don't know how I would interpret that in, from, from another from another number. Like, I don't know what that looks like to the other, to the people that I interact with. Okay. Well, I don't me, know. Let me... I don't know if I come across as mysterious or if I come across as standoffish or if I, uh, come across as cold. My guess and... would be that it, that you come across as complex. So I think what, what happens with pushing and pulling, which is exactly what you're describing, you're describing for push pull. So let me talk about that for a minute or two, and then you can correct me if you want to in terms of your own experience. But I think what what fours do in longing to be known and seen and understood is they engage aware that they're being vulnerable, and then it gets really scary, and they disengage because they feel too vulnerable. And then things don't feel authentic, so they engage again with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think for people, there are several levels of responding to that. And I think the takeaway is that there is mystery in the complexity of you as a four. I think there's mystery in the complexity of all fours. But I think the curiosity is how to manage the push-pull, how to manage uh, things being a connection and then a slight disconnection, but not a break. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes. So I... So you have some tips for me? (laughs) I do. I do have a tip or two. So... (laughs) I I don't think that you need to use mystery in part because of the time that we live in. I think... um, Break that down a little bit. You are mysterious as a group. All fours 
collectively are mysterious in a time when people are interested in impression, sound bites, fewer words, uh, more shallow thoughts, uh, faking mm. it to make it. So authenticity, deep understanding, uh, exploring commonality and interests takes time. And we are mm. losing because of screens, because of all the, the ways that um, we engage with the world. We're losing an ability to read, understand, and appreciate nuance. And fours get nuance. Mm. And so you can't speed up and be authentic. So I think you have to narrow the number of people that you want to relate to. With every speeding up, inauthenticity comes. And so for fours, that's unacceptable. So what you have to be able to do is maintain a consistent speed, but use it well. And anytime we're afraid, we're not using an opportunity for relationship well. And I, I think it's difficult to be a male for. Um, it, it, it would be easier still in our culture for any male to be more thinking, more doing, less feeling. But you can't do that and you can't fake doing that. Mm. So I think you need to bring up thinking in order to be more clear when you explain feelings. I think people want to know, but they're not accustomed. I would say they're not accustomed to the texture that you have around thoughts and feelings. So if you can explain yourself or your way of seeing so that you're mindful that the audience that's listening does not see the world the way you do. They don't see with the depth or with the texture that you do. And mm -hmm. so you have to smooth things a little. And that requires a lot on your part. And I think you might find it worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, Suzanne, there's this guy that I would love for you to look up um he his name's john koenig and he makes these videos um and he writes a blog called the dictionary of obscure sorrows oh my he's a four huh i yeah i think if i was going to type anybody it would it would be, it would be, it would him. be him and he and i think it's a pretty safe bet he's a four but they what what his dictionary is is um terms that don't have a don't have a word yet for feelings. So feelings that just aren't aren't in the vocabulary. And how does he give a word to a particular feeling? And they are so wonderful. Um, and when you talk about nuance and trying to interact with others, um, I think part of that is like there there just isn't any language for it for some things. 
Yeah. And so you do have to really get into that kind of texture of explaining and you need the time and you need one-on-one space and you need, you know, room to kind of let other people think and digest at their different paces and everything in between. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you one of the, one of the terms that has always really stood out for me from his dictionary. And then we, and then I have a question for you. Um, okay. One of the first ones that I ever saw was this word sonder. Uh-huh. S-O-N-D-E-R. And he made it as the term for the realization that everyone else's life is as vivid and complex as your own. Oh, I like that. Oh, I, I, don't you? Isn't it great? Yeah, um, I like that a lot. And in the in the video of his um for, for this for that entry in his dictionary, uh he he says something along the lines of um you know, you may just appear as a background character sipping coffee, you know, or like a lighted window at dusk. And it just, oh, it just hits me so hard, but it's so great um, because there, there is that moment of, you know, like, oh my goodness, all these people in the, in traffic are just as stressed out as I am coming home. They all have somewhere else to be. And that's, that's a feeling and it, but it didn't necessarily have a word for it. Um, and I think when you talk about when I think about myself as a four, there's like a hundred things like that where I'm experiencing this thing. And in order for me to explain it, it would take me five minutes, right. but not everybody has five minutes to sit there and hear why that particular thing is, um, you know, why that hit me so hard. Uh, I, I, I do have a question. I just thought of something else of just like a good, like four story of, okay. of of an example of what I mean. When I was last in New York, uh, I was staying on like the 23rd floor, 24th floor, something like that, uh, of the hotel that I was at. And I had come down with some other IVP people and then realized, oh, wait, I forgot something. So I had to go back up to the room. And I was like, oh, just, you know, I'll catch you by the, you know, just head down to the lobby. I'll I'll catch you there. So I walk back to the elevator and I'm in a good mood. I'm, I'm excited to go, you know, out with people after being at the, at the, at the conference all day. And I open the elevator and there's a song playing in the elevator and bam, I'm, I'm thinking about my dad because of this song. And I'm like, okay. So I ride the elevator up and it goes up about four or five floors and door opens and I'm thinking about my dad now, and I'm like, oh, I should call him, or I should text him. Um, and the door opens, and this woman steps in, and she has this perfume on that I recognize. And I'm like, oh, that, oh, wow. oh, that reminds me of. <laughs> and then, I'm, so now I'm like sad because I'm thinking about this person I haven't seen in a long time because of her perfume. So then I get off the elevator, and I'm walking down, and as I'm walking down the hallway to my room, I can hear this fight, like in some hotel room. And I'm like, oh, man. And so now I'm thinking about that fight. And I'm like, should I do I help? What do I say? Should I call the front office? I finally get to the room. Can't even remember what I was, went up there for. <laughs> and by the t- and, you know, so by the time I get down, I've been through like just this wave of like ups and downs. And like I've thought about like 10 different people. And I'm, you know, and when was the last time I heard from? Oh, and when was the last time I talked to and and just kind of doing this like mental aerobics of like 
trying to figure out what the last, what this elevator ride that lasted all of three minutes, you know, did for me emotionally. And I get back to the group of, you know, three or four people that I'm with and they're like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't have the time to explain what just happened. Right. You know, like I can tell you if I got on the elevator and was reminded of five people, but I can't tell you that, you know, you don't, you don't want to take the the 30 minutes going to take for me to explain why that particular song reminded me of my dad or how I know what that perfume is or why this, you know, why a fight behind a hotel door is, you know, m- more complicated for me than it would be for somebody else. Right. Um, but right. all of that nuance is part of it. But this, uh, that's just, that's my, that's my example of, but I, I think what you said about nuance is very, very true for me. It's a perfect story for me saying that in five minutes, fours have so many feelings, they don't know which one to go with. They just don't know which one to take and follow. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, I could tell you a story like that from almost any day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think the thing that is helpful in relationships is for you to tell that story. For you to say to people, you know, I uh, believe in this wisdom that is defined as the Enneagram, as good or as weak as that definition may be, and it says that there are nine ways of seeing, and this is how I see the world. Because I think people just don't know how different we are. Mm -hmm. We kind of look the same. We're doing the same stuff. We're trying to get a day of work done. It's like, who who's noticing how different we all are? And the answer is you are. Fours have always been noticing how different we are. Everybody else is catching up. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have a gold mine for relationships in, for example, talking about John Koenig, and you could just use the word Sonder. Mm. And that's a conversation starter that people can get in regardless because it doesn't take you too long to get there, right? Mm. So now the next hurdle for fours is some numbers are going to say, wow, somebody's like creating new words. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you got to be ready for that. And you can say, you make it sound well, like I have to be friends with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, if you don't get that, then I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but, but that's an insight and an opportunity still for conversation to continue because you can say, well, wouldn't that be true with every word? Like, didn't somebody create every word that we mm-hmm. use? So then fives, who are not good at sharing feelings could dial into, oh, wait, every word did come from somewhere. Tell me more about this guy, right? So what I'm saying is we have to learn in conversation based on Enneagram number difference what part of what we say people are going to focus on. And then we have a meeting place. I, too, if I got off the elevator and heard people in a room fighting in a hotel, would struggle with what to do. But I would struggle because I find my value in being helpful and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you find your value more in being present? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, tell me about the poem. Um, and it, this likes to go back to something else that you said earlier about fours moving slower and slowing down. Um, is there's this poem by, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pronounce his name right, Anis Majangi, Majangi. And in the poem, uh, he's talking about meeting this kid on a bus. And he meets this child, and the kid has a book, and he's reading through this book, and he's just, the, the pages, he's just flipping over and over and over. And, you know, he's, he knows the story. He's already read the book a hundred times. So he's just, I'm just going through, and I'm reading my pages, and he goes, slow down, Quentin. Not everything has to be touch and go. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that one line sticks with me, but I think so often people people do feel like that, like that touch and go is okay for most people. Yeah. So, um, can I ask you, can I ask you my question before I forget? Sure. So we're, we're, we've got here somehow talking about nuance. Um, but I, it's interesting to me that a four that I move to one, and and the one is just like this very black and white. You do this because of this. You do this because of this. Um, and uh, my older sister, who I love so much, um, she's the one. And sh- we just cannot understand each other sometimes um, because I'm just always kind of like in this gray. Right. But I do have the. But I have this move to one. So I guess my question for you is, how does that move from from one? Because it's not just the behavior. It's not just the, when I move to one, I become more productive. And like, I think I spend a lot of time at one when I'm at work. I think I spend a lot of time at one when I'm intentional about setting time aside for writing. Sure. Um, but it's also like the the underlying switch between being in this land of like nuance and gray to this world of very tight rules, like clipboard people. And I, and right. I don't, and I don't know how that works, but I, but I can see it in myself. Like I certainly see it in my behavior. Okay. Let's work with it for a while. Often when I answer a question, I start with another number first so that you kind of get a look at something and then I come back to yours. I'm going to talk about nines. And I'm going to remind everyone that the best part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. And the worst part of nines is that they see two sides to everything. Right? Mm -hmm. So the best part of fours is that they're very adept at uh, swimming in the deep waters. And the worst part of fours is that they're very adept at swimming in the deep waters. And sometimes life is shallow. And it occurs in the shallow end. And so what ones and fours have to offer one another is the exchange between what needs to be done in the deep end, what needs to be done in the shallow end. 
And there are things that don't allow for nuance, right? There are, even if you work toward being uh, a non-dualistic thinker, so duality is either-or thinking, and non-duality is both-and thinking. But still, sometimes you have to just choose. You have to decide what you're going to do. And I think if you watch yourself and you apply the exact way that you describe ones to landing on and dealing with one feeling because life requires it, then you'll find the gift that that one space has to offer you. It's not just for getting stuff done. It's for minimizing options. Mm -hmm. And the way ones see the world, there aren't nearly as many options as they are the way fours see the world. Sure. And both are paralyzing. Too many options can be paralyzing and not enough options can be paralyzing. So it makes perfect sense to me that those two numbers share a line on the Enneagram because you need the opposite of you to move, Mm -hmm. to move forward or backward or up or deeper. And so if we play it from the other end, without four, ones don't get in touch with their deeper feelings. They don't get in touch with the kindness that they have for themselves. And without some one, fours don't get in touch with the reality that if there are only three things to choose from, you can choose one of the three and find what you're looking for. And sometimes adding options is not helpful in finding what you're looking for. So I don't think you'll ever land on a spot where you think there's one right answer. And I don't think ones do well when they sit on a spot where there's one right answer. There's always another way. Mm. Richard Rohr very often calls it the third way. So if we took a personal question and applied it to the culture at the moment, then it seems to me that what we're going to have to have is a third way. And you have a voice that would lead folks toward that, and your sister has a voice that would lead folks toward that. Mm. Right? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That's very helpful. And I think, um, I, I don't know if anybody else has used the word, uses the word texture when they talk about fours. It serves me really well to use that word when I'm trying to teach. And I would have to say that I think you both, you and your sister, have different comfort spots, comfort zones, and you're more comfortable with more texture, and she's more comfortable with less texture, with things being smooth and clear. And those gifts combined help forge a path that can accommodate both, right? Mm. So that, that's today's answer. We'll talk about it again sometime. That's a pretty good answer. So I want to talk again uh, about the brightest for a little bit because I didn't get to 
talk about the fact that I believe in the healing power of love, which is uh, what that book meant to me. I think because there are not enough John Koenigs in the world who are trying to come up with a, a new way of saying something because the old ways are all used up. And I think we have to find new understandings of love because, unfortunately, we love I. I'll use me as an example because you know how much I love Joe. So I say to Joe, I love you. And I say to Joe, I love this French dip. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's so inadequate. It's so inadequate that I'm getting a little squirmy around using the word love when it is uh, referencing how I feel about Joe or my children or my grandchildren or my friends. So I... um, You can always put a curse word in front of it. Well, actually, I can't always, you know, because... (laughs) Uh, of the role I have in the world. It's not that I'm not capable. (laughs) It's just that I can't always do that. But I, I think we are diminishing our capacity for describing the significant experiences of our lives, again, by moving too fast. And so I've been saying lately that I think right now in our culture, uh, the two numbers that have an awful lot to offer are nines and sixes. Nines, because they see two sides to everything. And sixes, because their concern is for the common good. Mm -hmm. Because of our conversation, I'm going to say now, going forward, that I think it's nines and sixes and fours because I think fours are the people who insist by their way of being that we slow down. We can't keep moving at the pace we're moving and expect to make fewer mistakes than we're making. And we're collectively making a bunch of them, I think. So what would you say that you think people don't get about you as a four that's not really all that complicated? Um, I'm also an extrovert. And I think a lot of times what that translates to is I'm I'm up for being with people and, and doing that. Um, and I... What's maybe what's maybe not all that complicated is sometimes it's it's a no and it's not because of a deep feeling. It's just it's just a no. It's just I don't want yeah, to. Yeah, it's just I don't yeah. want to. Um, and I think when you know when you get to as I interact with my friends and family, I think they sometimes expect it to be like dramatic or like it it's like it's more it, like it's oh it's Marty so it's going to be complicated. And sometimes it's just, sometimes it's not. Sometimes I'm as superficial as, you know, the next person. Yeah, it's, um, I'm I'm not sure that's superficial. 
actually. I, th- I think it has to do with being honest, mm. right? I, th- I think people, um, some people, uh, avoid conflict by staying when they want to go. And some people uh, avoid being misunderstood by staying when they want to go. And I, I do think that people expect you to have layers beneath whatever you say. Uh, layers of meaning beneath whatever it is that you're choosing because so often you do have a, another layer and another layer. But there's a, there's a different way of looking at that too. I, um, we lived 90 miles from Dallas at one point when Joe was serving a, a church and we came back to Dallas to get haircuts and to go to the dentist and stuff like that. And, you know, we had four little kids. And so when we came to the dentist, I brought all of them. We made a trip. And there was a crisis in our family at one point, and we couldn't keep dental appointments. And I called the dentist office, and, of course, because I'm relational, I knew the receptionist, right? So I said to her, Marion, I'm so sorry, but I have to cancel our appointments this morning. And she just said, I don't have time to talk to you right now. I'll call you later. Well, man, I spent the next hour and a half waiting for her to call, thinking, she's mad at me. I've done a terrible thing. She's never going to be friendly with me. You know, I just made up all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. She called me an hour and a half later, and she said, darling, I'm so sorry. But when you cancel an appointment, it takes you 30 minutes to tell me about each kid and why you can't come and how badly you feel and that you hope it's not going to cause the doctor any trouble. And I just didn't have 30 minutes first thing this morning. <laughs> so I... That's a good two-story. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? It is a good two-story. But it's also a good story for numbers like yours and mine and sixes and ones in that we all tend to make up a bunch of stuff. Right? We just make up things that aren't happening. Yeah. Do you do that a lot? Uh, yes. I think, Me too. I think I've gotten better since learning the Enneagram. Controlling how much I vocalize it, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm certainly still doing it in my head. Uh-huh. I'm certainly uh-huh. still thinking about all of it and coming up with reasons why so-and-so doesn't want to or does want to. or Yeah. yeah. The, the practice is still there. But I think I have gotten a little better in the last few years of not having to say it. So my thing that's happening in my head when I do that is, what did I do wrong? What's happening in your head? When you're making up stuff. Oh, same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Is it but the I, same? Is it what did I do wrong or is it what's wrong with me? No, I was just going to say, well, I was going to say I might change it a little bit. I, yeah. I would say I would probably fall into they don't like me because. Right. right. Um, and then it's like, well, what are my options to when I'm back? Or what are my yeah. options to uh, be likable again? Or. Mm-hmm. 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 But it's it's never them. It's never 
I never think like what's going on in their head or what how uh, busy they might be. I'm not I'm not like, oh, I should saunter and, you know, realize that they yeah. live in complex lives as well. I, right. You know, it's always like, oh, I did something. I'm like, there's something wrong with me that they don't want to spend time with me. All right. So I want you to tell everybody the definition of saunter again, because I'm going to start using that word, too. So define it again. Saunter is the realization that everyone else's life is as vivid and complex as your own. There you go. Man, I'm going to work with that. You should you okay. should go spend an afternoon watching all of his videos. It, okay. It's wonderful. You're, you're going to be crying by the end. But <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to call you and cry with you. Okay. All right. Okay, uh, what are you reading? Oh, my goodness. So many things. So many things all the time. Um, I'm reading Hank Green's book, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. It's fiction. Um, I'm reading an IVP book right now that's really, really great. This is not just like a plug because I work at IVP, but uh, yeah. 12 Lies That Hold American Cap- America Captive Yeah, is so crazy good. It's talking about um, white American folk religion and oh. like the problems from culture that the church has caused. And it is just... It's it's like a game changer. It's so good. Okay. I'm on it. I'll be anxious to read that. We'll talk about it when we're together at some point. Okay. Okay. Tell me uh, what you wish people knew about fours. What I wish people knew about fours. You know, I. <laughs> this is going to sound really apparent, like really just obvious. Um we're all like really, really different, like really different from one another, from you, from Joe down the street. It's like really different. Um, I've, I've met, I don't know. I mean, I, I try to get as many people as I possibly can to get into the Enneagram because it's so helpful to me. Um, and as I've kind of expanded my friend circle, and learned who's a four in my friend circle that knows about the Enneagram. I'm always just, I'm always surprised. And then I'm, then it comes to me like, oh yeah, no, it, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm always surprised because they're so different from me. Um, their creative, like their creativity is different. Their, right. their outlets are different. Their styles are different. Their vocabularies are different. Um, like the the introvert versus extrovert, like layers on top of a four are are like they confuse me. Like I like I just can never quite get it. And so so maybe I mean maybe that's like the most obvious thing is that yeah I don't I'm think it's obvious at all. Another person just like like I, one of the worst things you could say to me is hey you you remind me of and then mm-hmm. fill in some person like I don't want to remind you of anybody. Right. Like, I don't think that's obvious because I don't think people stop to think about that. And I think it's um, actually the reality is that I'm very different from other twos as well. And Joe's very different from other nines and Joel is very different from other sevens. And I think one of the one of the downsides of the Enneagram is that we... Uh, limit how much we learn about it 
and then we put people in new categories that have unending nuance, but it gets lost in the categorization. So that's one of the reasons you know I don't think we should type anybody and, 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 and. And there's no way that anybody could be motivated in exactly the same way that you are or that I am because nobody else has had our life experiences, right? Nobody else has. All right, I have two more questions for you, and then if you have a question for me, I'll answer it, and then uh, we'll say so long for only right now. Okay. I wonder if you're aware, based on stances, whether or not you're dealing with someone who's from the aggressive stance, someone who's from the dependent stance, or someone who's from the withdrawing stance. Mm. I think I can, I think I can intuitively tell a lot of times and I, what, what ends up happening is I end up mirroring it. Oh, say more about that. I, th I think I'm, I'm susceptible to that, the pressure of whatever everybody else is feeling. So I just kind of like that becomes this cycle of, you know, if we, if I'm, if I'm in the group and we're getting it done and it's like, okay, well that's, I'm going to feel that way. Um, and it's also really easy for me to fluctuate and change how I'm feeling about something. Mm -hmm. um, so when when I think of somebody in withdrawing stance, it's very easy for me to just go, "Oh yeah, like let's let's take a minute and you know, let's sit with this." Or if I think about somebody in aggressive stance, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I can see why I can get fired up. I can get fired up about the thing you're fired up." Mm -hmm. And it's a way for me to connect with those those people. In terms of being doing repressed, what does that look like for you right now? Mm. Mm, that's a great question. I think I have to be careful not to feel like I'm worthless when I'm not producing things. Uh, and, and I think maybe even maybe even like what's worse than that is not it's not even just not doing things like it's not just the lack of productivity it's a lack of like showing people it's like i have to do it and i have to show it to people and i have mm -hmm. to hear what they think about it and how it made them feel <laughs> and so like the, it, to get started means i gotta go all the way to the end of that right? like i gotta i gotta make something i gotta display it i gotta hear back about it and then I got to like interpret that inside. So to even get started seems like, oh man, that's, that's daunting to think about starting the process of doing something. And then there's like the self-hatred for not doing anything and not being productive. So I think I, I have to like, I have to be very intentional about knowing that sometimes I don't have to, I don't have to be always in production mode and I can rest and that I can slow down. That's crazy good because I, I, I have another new thought and that is that it sounds like for you there's vulnerability in doing and I th fear oh, yeah. that my teaching has only focused on the vulnerability of not doing. Hmm. So I'm going to, I'm going to work with that because that was all about the vulnerability in all those steps that you see if you go ahead and do something. Yeah. Yeah, that's very helpful. That's very helpful to me and everybody. 
Okay, anything else I can answer for you? When are you going to be back in Chicago? You know, probably. I need, I need a big Suzanne hug is what I need. Well, I'm I'm uh, working on some new stuff, so uh, we'll see if they'll uh, maybe uh, invite me in to talk about it. Okay. All right, let's work on that. And if you're in my neighborhood, you know I want to hear from you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Marty. I do treasure you. Oh, well, thank you. I love talking to you. I'm I'm. You're my hero. Well, I'll try to live up to that. Be good to yourself. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry. Music is provided by Solve Lighthouse. Professional photography is courtesy of Courtney Perry. We invite you to visit theenneagramjourney.org for more information, and we welcome your questions and comments. Thank you for being with us today.